Uh, lastly, uh, we are cutting red tape to help Oklahoma's retired licensed health professionals uh, get back on the front lines more quickly. This order uh, does not uh, deploy the National Guard for enforcement, pur uh, enforcement purposes. The National Guard is here to help. Uh, they are gathering information from our, from our hospitals. They're working with logistics. Uh, they're helping deliver medical supplies, uh, PPE all across our state. Uh, they're helping me plan for additional medical facilities. I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast exploring the impact the coronavirus is having on our state. Today is Friday, April 3rd. On today's episode, I'll speak with The Frontier's Clifton Adcock about two stories he recently published that take a closer look at the governor's order to close non-essential businesses and the dramatic rise in unemployment filings in Oklahoma. But first, here's a review of the latest coronavirus news. On Thursday, the State Department of Health reported that 879 Oklahomans have now tested positive for COVID-19, which was an increase of 160 cases from the day before. Hospitalizations have reached 257, and 34 Oklahomans have now died, an increase of four from the day before. Also on Thursday, Governor Kevin Stitt said work is underway to possibly increase hospital capacity by 40%. Stitt also issued an order authorizing public schools to pay support staff, such as custodians and bus drivers, who lost pay with the closure of school buildings. All right, so Cliff, um, there's been a lot of confusion about what is a essential and non-essential business in Oklahoma. So the governor issued an order last week closing, uh, suspending operations at non-essential businesses in 19 counties that had confirmed cases of COVID-19. And new counties came online as new cases were, were found. And then yesterday or on uh, Wednesday, the, the governor uh, made it statewide. Now, you published a story that was taking a closer look at these front or at these non-essential businesses and you found that there were maybe some some odd uh, odd exceptions to that rule a, a tattoo parlor a tanning salon uh, tell us what you found yeah that's right so uh when the governor issued his executive order on march 24th it, it only listed um you know emergency infrastructure uh businesses or or industries as defined by the department of homeland security uh, the next day, he issued an executive memorandum that further expanded the uh, number of businesses that would be considered essential under that uh, executive order. And that memorandum ran for six pages listing you know, different industries, different yeah. businesses. And so it was pretty broad. Um, and uh, among those were you know, golf courses, uh, medical marijuana, uh, dispensaries, uh, uh, liquor stores, um, and uh, I had requested uh, some data from the state, uh, from the Department of Commerce. Uh, once the Department of Commerce set up a website uh, to help answer businesses' questions of whether they were essential or not, if they yeah. fell under those categories uh, that was uh, that were issued by the governor. Yeah, the uh, the executive order issued by Stitt uh, was sure. considered yeah, the, uh, by a lot of people uh, broad, 
And um, so the Department of Commerce set up a website where businesses uh, could submit an application uh, for clarification to see if they, hey, do we fall in these essential business categories that are in this uh, six-page uh, memorandum? Uh, and if they got a message saying they did not fall into one of those categories and were not essential, then they could uh, appeal that uh, that ruling or that uh, that decision and uh, have them consider whether they would allow them uh, to be considered essential anyway. Okay. Uh, now, from what I understand, none of the none of those uh, appeals or uh, requests to be uh, considered essential uh, were granted as of yet. Uh, however, there were some businesses that had uh, requested clarification uh, that had been given a green light to, to go ahead and stay open. Uh, and some of those businesses uh, included a, um, a tattoo parlor in Bell City. Uh, there was a, uh, a dog grooming, a mobile dog grooming uh, business uh, there in Oklahoma City uh, that was granted the uh, essential status, and uh, several others, uh, pawn brokers and, and things like that. And uh, these businesses ran the gamut of different types of businesses, you know, from, from tattoo parlors uh, to uh, energy companies, and there were even some fire departments that applied. Hmm. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, there were a few uh, shooting ranges and stuff like that that also applied. Uh, but unfortunately, the data the department gave me doesn't show which ones were actually granted or not. So I had to start calling some of these individuals. Yeah. So the the Dell City Tattoo Shop that you uh, talked about in your story, so it, it wasn't granted an exception, but he had he had asked for clarification and was told that uh, yeah, you're good to go. You're essentially at a essential business, right? That's right. He was uh, on March 27th. Department of Commerce uh, texted him. Uh, saying you your industry falls under uh, essential business, um, and of course the, the the owner said, you know I'm going to no, there's not going to be ten people at a time in my business or anything like that. I sterilize everything, you know, do everything by the book, um, and you know limit uh, you know very very limited walk-ins. Um, and uh, after he put in his application, and, and quite frankly, it was you know pretty sad you know to see. Some of the uh, some of the comments on there, including his saying that you know he would just completely lose everything if he yep. uh, was forced to shutter his business. Um, but uh, he uh, put in his uh, request; they granted it to him, uh, and uh, he was one of the individuals we spoke with and uh, put in the story uh, that appeared uh, last night. Uh, by this morning, he had received a text from the Department of Commerce saying they had made a mistake in granting that and they were withdrawing uh, the determination that he was uh, fell under the essential business status. Yeah. I mean, obviously the timing, it seems pretty obvious that this, uh, you know, that your story comes out and puts a spotlight on that and uh, the Department of Commerce uh, reconsiders the clarification that they that they were offering and and you know some of these i think if uh, your initial thought is you see like a tanning salon and a tattoo parlor i think the average reader kind of scoffs at that and says you know that's obviously they're not essential and, um and this is silly that they would even try but as you mentioned i mean these these are real these are businesses that are not in a position to just close down for a couple of weeks that there's a real risk that some of these places are going to close. Now, obviously, you know, government leaders know that, but I mean, you've talked to some of these business owners. I mean, can, how, how much of a dire situation is it for some? Uh, it's very dire for some. They're, uh, you know, a lot of them are saying they're going to lose it all. They're not only the business, they, but they have a car payment that's coming due. They have uh, rent or mortgage payment that's coming due. They have the rent or 
a mortgage payment on the uh, building they're operating yep. out of. And all those things are coming due, you know, regardless of whether they're open or closed. And, you know, quite frankly, I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking to hear a lot of these, you know, people's saying what kind of impact this is going to have or has already had on them. Um, I spoke with the, uh, one of the mobile dog groomer uh, companies that I spoke with, uh, a lady out of Oklahoma City, uh, said that a lot of her clients were now making uh, appointments with uh, another mobile dog grooming uh, company that had refused to shut down and were operating kind of flying under the radar, um, you know, causing her to lose business. And, you know, while she's abiding by the rules. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, looking through that data and, you know, the comments that were submitted, there's, there's a lot of heartbreaking stories about people who are, you know, going to lose everything. Yeah. And obviously the, the goal here is to, is despite the fact that this is a really tough economic pill to swallow, hoping to l- lessen the curve of, of this pandemic. But it also kind of speaks right. to the difference of the order here, maybe compared to some other states and cities where, you know, Governor Stitt has never called this a shelter-in-place order, although he has said it's very similar. But what this does is it it basically orders businesses to close, while some other orders in some other states are basically telling people that they have to stay in their home. And it's kind of the same thing in a way, because if you can't leave your house, you can't be a customer at some of these businesses. We're just going at it a different way, but it almost seems like it maybe can has has the possibility to create a little bit more confusion because it's easier to say everyone needs to stay home except for essential services like getting food uh, getting medical care but instead of going that way saying non-essential business have to close it kind of creates some ambiguity i think right yes there was yeah there was a lot of confusion about uh, whether you know are we essential or are we not you know um and uh i mean they got more than as of tuesday 2800 you know uh uh, requests or cl- uh, requests for clarification or application, and yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, there is the uh, safer, safer at home um, uh, order that you know orders those that that are over sixty five or have um, you know underlying medical conditions to stay home or, or request them to stay home. Uh, but yeah, there, there is no you know uh, shelter in place order for everybody to stay home. And so I guess that's kind of how you get, you know, where there's tanning salons and stuff like that that have been granted um, essential status. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's always, I mean, you can always find examples of businesses that might say, hey, well, what about this? And in and, and Wednesday's press conference with the governor, a reporter asked about uh, what about home-based uh, salon and barber services? So someone who wants to go into, into a home. Um, and do hair care. And once again, that doesn't sound like an essential thing, but you know, after a couple of weeks of getting a haircut, uh, that won't be the case for me, but for some others like yourself, maybe it, it starts to, <laughs> it starts to feel essential, right? After a couple of weeks. So most, most definitely, I could definitely use one at this point. <laughs> yeah. <a haircut>. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of applying to the state, uh, you talk about these uh, essential business applications. We've also seen a staggering rise in um, people who are seeking unemployment insurance and, this is happening all over the country. I think this isn't surprising, but it's still just staggering when, when you see the numbers and, and you you report on this. Right, right. Yeah, you know, you, there's a there's been a huge increase in the number of initial unemployment claims uh, that have been filed since since this thing began. Um, it uh, in fact from the beginning of March to the most recent um, information that just came out from the Department of Labor today. 
there's been a, a 2,800, uh, 866% increase in the number of people filing unemployment, uh, uh, initial claims, which is their first, you know, uh, uh, application to, uh, get, uh, unemployment insurance. And, uh, and that reflects numbers of, uh, during the week, uh, week ending March 7th, there were about 1,500, uh, initial applications submitted. Uh, by March 28th, there were 44,970, um, initial applications that have been submitted for unemployment insurance. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's essentially like the whole city of Stillwater uh, applying for unemployment insurance and now being out of work. So you reported on this, I I think it was last week, last week seems like forever ago, but on just how, how the, the department was going to be prepared to take these requests. They, they knew they were going to see a, a, a dramatic increase. What is that process looking like, uh, for people making claims? Right. Well, according uh, according to the uh, Department of Commerce and uh, Secretary of Commerce and Workforce Development, uh, the uh, Oklahoma Employment Security Commission, which accepts the claims, is, is overwhelmed. Uh, they've been uh, taking uh, they've closed their offices to the you know public from mm-hmm. people coming in and stuff like that. Uh, but they're still taking uh, applications over the phone, uh, and they're doing so online as well. Um, and they're encouraging people that have to file to go online and file uh, to the um, to the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission website. And we've got links to those uh, places on our in our story today. Um, but yes, they are they've uh, they've expanded bandwidth from what I understand. Uh, OMES has uh, uh, worked uh, with the Department of Commerce to expand bandwidth to the to the website. So there's you know, hopefully it'll run a little smoother. Um, I have seen, you know, uh, stories about people having trouble or, or uh, not being able to file online because the system might be overwhelmed. But, uh, but um, according to a spokesman today for the department, they said that, uh, that yeah, they had expanded bandwidth and, and kind of tried to straighten out some of those uh, issues with the online application system. Yeah. Well, one piece of good news, I guess, is that the the fund to, to pay for these uh, unemployment claims is supposedly pretty strong here in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. We uh, we talked about this last week, I mm-hmm. believe. Again, days are bleeding together. <laughs> but but uh, we uh, yeah we spoke about that uh, about the strength of the trust fund. Um, we have the uh, seventh highest rated uh, trust fund um, according uh, trust fund solvency according to the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, and we've got uh, 1.1 billion dollars uh, in the trust fund account, um, so we're we're doing pretty well on that. That said, at the current rate, according to the the people I spoke with at uh, um, the uh, Oklahoma Employment Security Commission today, at the rate that it's going, the fund would be completely tapped out in ten weeks. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, you know not good to hear, obviously. But there's some there's some fail safes in place. Uh, if the fund gets close to having just uh, 25 million dollars in it, uh, state law requires that uh, the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission put in uh, put in place an employer surcharge, which is basically a tax on employers to start replenishing that fund. And they can use that fund, which they've uh, you know got a pretty good rating on, uh, to borrow money from the U.S. Department of Labor to keep the fund solvent. Well, you know, it's you say, you know, on one hand, we're we're in a pretty good spot compared to most other states, but then that's just ten weeks. And on one hand, ten weeks sounds like, man, I really hope this has passed us in ten weeks. But at the same time, 
you just don't know and it's it's easy to believe that this that even if the the virus the number of positive cases is on the downslope it's hard to imagine the economy just snapping back into shape where people aren't still in, in need of these benefits that's right that's right um the, there there are some steps that uh, the federal government is taking and uh, uh, senator james langford uh, spoke a little bit about that the other day um payroll protection uh program uh, which is supposed to keep uh, employees uh, employed um, and uh, provide uh, some no-interest loans to employers that uh, keep people on their payroll, basically. Uh, and that covers uh, supposed to cover health insurance, uh, retirement, uh, as well as uh, payroll. And if the employer does not lay people off or fire terminate people, um, Within uh, uh, the program's period time period, it's um, then they don't have to pay back the loan. Basically, uh, there is a problem, though, uh, according to uh, the uh, Secretary of uh, Commerce and Workforce Development, uh, uh, Sean Coupon, who said that um, there's also a $600 increase per week per person uh, in unemployment benefits. So. Kuplin said that was the equivalent of having a uh, of getting a fifty thousand dollars salary. Though though that only lasts that extra six hundred dollars a week only lasts for four months, um, and he said that might make it difficult for businesses to hire people, uh, especially if they would be earning under that amount. Yeah, it's on one hand. My first thought when I read that was maybe that kind of speaks to a, a wage problem in the state. I mean, fifty thousand is a, a decent right. salary, but if that's if that's enough to keep you from going to work because the job that you had before is just so significantly less than that, um, th- maybe that speaks to a different issue. But uh, but yeah, I did I did think right. that that was interesting that that would be um, that that's a potential problem that they that they are seeing. Uh, but as you mentioned, right. uh, you know, businesses also have the opportunity to apply for small business loans that that can turn into grants if it's paid for per payroll. So you just hope that some of that relief starts coming to businesses pretty soon. Most definitely. And, and the state is also considering something, though they haven't made many details available, uh, possibly giving small grants to uh, uh, smallest Oklahoma businesses. Um, uh, Mr. Kuplin said that was uh, had gone before the governor, and he was looking at it and considering it. Uh, there is an issue with that, though, because under the state's constitution, the state can't guarantee or give out loans, um, and so they might call it a grant or or something like that uh, to get the program out there and get some you know uh, funds to some of these small businesses. Yeah, you know something we haven't talked about, and we normally would be if it wasn't for the pandemic that was spreading, is the hit on oil prices. And granted, a lot of that is has to do with this pandemic and decreased prices is is kind of driving down. Our decreased travel is driving down oil prices, but I remember before, man, I can't remember what the day was, but it was it was before the coronavirus had really taken a hold of the United States, when there was the first report of the oil prices were just crashing because of, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia and Russia flooding the market. I remember thinking like, man, this is a huge story and this is going to be a big storyline for the months to come, and it's really taken a back seat, right. but it's still an important issue, especially here in an, in an energy rich state like Oklahoma. Right. That's and that's a lot of the reason we're seeing you know ninety nine ninety nine cent gas prices. Part of it is because no one is traveling. You know, no one is uh, you know using you know 
going anywhere really. Um, so uh, there's not a lot of oil being used uh, for for that. But also, yeah, because uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia sort of engaged in a little oil war and um, uh, flooded the market with oil, and and so that that's causing some big issues as well. Obviously, Oklahoma, yeah, really relies on uh, that uh, uh, oil funds. Um, Governor Stitt on Tuesday sent a letter to uh, President Trump uh, asking him to take action against Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, for for doing that as well. And they're hoping that will provide some relief if um, if they fall in line and uh, you know, heed Trump's uh, advice. And uh, from what I understand, uh, he, he did uh, call them out uh, today in a press conference, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see uh, see what actions are, are taken on there. But uh, the immediate picture in Oklahoma is tens of thousands of Oklahomans who are out of work and you know in need in need of more money. Uh, hey, Cliff, good good reporting too. Solid stories over the last twenty four hours, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to walk us through them. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for today's episode. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you on Saturday.